Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Life Project, where I am your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thanks for tuning in. And we finally got through the election. We finally got through the voting. We are here. We actually aren't. We are shooting this a little bit earlier, but congratulations for getting through. Welcome back to your TV, so you don't have to watch any more commercials about this. We're glad you got here. And I'll just like to point out, there's only one more month left in 2020. (laughs) If we could have a crowd cheering right now, I think we would with our sound. Banner, tape, parade. (laughs) Yes. Airplanes with banners, everything. Hang out the flag. Holy buckets. We got here, but it was, uh, we had some trials and trials produce endurance and character. uh, So that's good. But also let's don't do that again. I don't know if you're with us, uh, but we're glad you're listening to us. Again, we're financial advisors. Again, I hate saying that, but we'll have an uncommon view of the world and of their finances. And ideally, we'd like you to love your life every day and use your gifts that God's given to you um, and maximize those for your potential, uh, for your happiness, enjoyment, but also other people's so you can impact more people. So we are going to talk, it's Brian and I today. Dun, 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 dun. What are we talking Do-cast. about? We're going to talk about different ways to fund your uncommon lifestyle. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to take that plunge, different ways you can uh, finance it or pay for it or capitalize it, whatever you want to call it. Right. And I'd say right now we have a very interesting time. This is the best time in Brian and I's career to turn to the uncommon path. So if you've ever had an idea or ever had an inkling to try this uh, strategy or try this uncommon path, this is the year. We're going to talk about why it's the year and uh, yeah, give you some I'd say encouragement on going that direction um, and just having somebody walk beside you and doing that. It could be Brian and I, it could be somebody else. Uh, We just want as many people down this path as possible. One, because it's fulfilling. (laughs) And two, it's life-changing. Like it is completely joy joy filled also with trials. But uh, I was, I heard this statistic today of, uh, people were being asked if they thought their hard work paid off. Mm. And I, th- I got to thinking about that because I think a lot of people that are working for somebody else question if their hard work gets paid off because they want to make sure their manager notices or for whatever reason, there's some times where their hard work doesn't get noticed. That's frustrating. When you're on this uncommon path, I'm telling you hard work is noticed and you see... <laughs> the direct results of hard work. You get to see the successes. You get to see the benefits of that. I would say in the entrepreneurial space, in the uncommon path, your hard work is not only like valuable, but it is rewarded. And so I don't know if we, it's probably way off on a tangent and we're just like three minutes into this thing. But uh, I think it's interesting to say like, Man, hard work has never been more rewarded, especially now. And resilience. I think there's, a, there's something to be said about that with 2020. 
But uh, okay, so let's talk about this whole uncommon path. Why is it so good? I, I think also interest rates would be fun to talk about what the ramifications are to having low interest rates, just in the economy in general, from an uncommon perspective. Um, and we can get into a lot and we can go down a lot of rabbit holes. But all right, so rein me back, B-Dog. <laughs> where are we going? Well, I think it'd be good to talk about different ways to fund a business. You know, we recently met with... Uh, a couple evaluating a business purchase kind of walk through almost six different ways they could fund or pay for that business purchase. Um, and I think interest rates play into a lot of that, uh, several of those scenarios. So I think, I think we should start there. All right, let's do it. So this couple, uh, had an opportunity, uh, to buy a business and they came to us and said, how do we evaluate if we're getting a good deal or not? And that really prompted Brian and I to like, how do we help this couple see there's not only one way to value a business, there's multiple. And at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a range of what's uh, acceptable or what, what you want to talk about. But you want to go into these conversations with some knowledge and uh, some education rather than going into a business ready to buy it without any kind of understanding of how to value a business. So let's go through one option. Um, let's go, let's, I think we should probably corral this or put, um, kind of end gaps on it. So we'll do one option then we'll do the opposite, um, one, and then we'll kind of start working in from there. So what's the first option? The first option was, and I think this is timely for 2020 and what we've been talking about, uh, essentially, you know, potentially you could cash out an IRA, uh, for the down payment. This business wasn't super expensive. And so with the, the CARES Act, in response to all of this stuff going on in 2020, the government has removed the 10% penalty for taking uh, an IRA withdrawal before 59 and a half. Um, and that's a limit up to $100,000, I believe. So uh, we were you know, well under that number. So uh, that was kind of option one. And I think you know, for lots of different people and entrepreneurs, even uh, if you needed cash or uh, if you're trying to launch something, uh, having that 10% penalty removed is very helpful. Right. Uh, and the amount would still count as ordinary income, but uh, right. to have that penalty removed is is a big deal. Which then bodes well of why it's so such a good time to step into this uncommon path because you don't have to pay that 10% penalty. So a lot of people, that's like an uncommon wealth uh, loophole right now. <laughs> loophole, yeah. And I think we talk about it in the, you know, to give you like a word picture. If you think about your money like a teeter-totter, most people that we encounter, uh, you know, if you remember being on the playground and you, you never wanted to be, was all the way at the top, you know, or all the way at the bottom. Uh, you kind of wanted to be in the middle there with your feet on the ground. And, but when you think about it in terms of people's money, I mean, most people that we meet have, you know, 80 70, 80, 90% of their net worth in a 401k. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you're starting a business, you'd actually have it like to have it the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, if you're going to launch a business, it, it does make sense, can make sense to harvest a part of that retirement fund. So you're paying cash for capital costs in the business. Right. So that's, uh, I'd say the one op first option is buying the business a hundred percent with your cash. <laughs> Now, how we decide the best way to do that, you can do the cash in your bank. 
you can pull out of your 401k um, right now and maybe even in the future, but we'd have to really walk through what are the tax ramifications of that. Uh, But that's the first option is just pay cash for it. I'd say the last option, maybe the sixth option, if we're going to go through all of these, is finance the business completely, 100%. So like there's your two kind of like ditches, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we can work through. Obviously like financing, let's go to option six, 100%. You can do that with the individual you're buying it from. You can do it as partnering with- Which would be called seller financing. Right, seller financing. Or you could take a loan out from a bank. So there's options there. But I think just having those ditches of cash or 100% financing- um, are your two, you know, ditches. Definitely. And if you finance with the bank, um, you know, right now, things are actually a little tougher uh, to get lending from what we're hearing. And, you know, in a traditional uh, bank commercial loan, and you definitely have to put a down payment in, uh, typically 25 to 30% of the value of the business. Uh, and if it's a franchise, that helps too. I mean, franchises are a little easier to finance than, you know, standalone businesses because there's uh, typically, you know, a proven formula. There's multiple locations, um, predictable, more predictable cash flow, those types of things. But um, not always the case. Right, right. Okay. There's so many ways to carve this up. Um, so let's go to option two instead of option one. So this is going to be more leaning on the cash side of things. It's option two. Option two is kind of unique as well. Um, this lends better to the more expensive a business is uh, mm. because there's some fees attached. And uh, we can kind of compare that to, you know, just paying cash and taking the penalty from like an IRA. But uh, <clears throat> essentially what you can do is you can roll your IRA and set up a new 401k retirement plan in the new business or the new entity that you're going to use to uh, facilitate the business. Roll your old employer plan or IRA balance into that 401k. And then instead of buying like mutual funds, the 401k or your account within the 401k purchases company stock. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it essentially kind of brings that IRA... Uh, cash balance into the business bank account because now the business has traded stock for cash and now the 401k has traded stock uh, or cash for stock. And so now the, the money that was in your IRA is now in your business account without paying taxes and without um, paying any penalties. It is rather expensive to set this up. It's like five grand up front to set this up. So, you know, if you're going to take out 50,000 from an IRA and pre CARES Act, you would have paid a 10% penalty. It would have cost you five grand to do that plus current income. So, this you're paying the five grand in administration fees because it's a little complex, um, but you're not paying current income, um, you know, like you would if you took it out of an IRA. So, I think really once you get beyond, you know, the 50,000, it, it, this makes more sense than paying cash or cashing out an IRA uh, right. when you look at the fees and everything. But, uh, what? And there's some restrictions because like before the CARES Act for the Uncommonwealth Partners, <laughs> we would we could reference this and do this. And we did this often. I wouldn't say often, but we've done this. Um, but there's some restrictions as well with doing that. What are the restrictions of that? Let's talk to those. You can't use the money uh, that's now in the business account. You can't use that to essentially like enrich yourself. 
uh, meaning you can't pay yourself a salary from that balance and you can't um, use that money to fund a, uh, I can't think of the term off the top of my head, but let's just say you owned a real estate building uh, that your other business was in and your, your main business is paying your real estate company rent. You can't use the money if that is a connected transaction. So mm-hmm. uh, really it is great for franchises because what it mainly is for is to pay franchise fees, inventory fees, uh, upfront startup expenses. All of that is a legitimate expense, which you know often is a lot of it. Um, you just can't use it to, to pay yourself payroll. Um, so that's, those are kind of the main restrictions and the company that we partner with to execute those is well-versed in all that. And they, they handle that and audit that for you, for us so that, uh, you know, you stay in compliance, but it's just, this is a part of the IRS tax code. This isn't, uh, anything, you know, sketchy. It's been, it's been in the IRS tax code for nearly 40 years. So, uh, it's been a predominant way of funding, uh, a lot of the franchise world, uh, here in the United States. So great. Okay, so we've talked about option one, cash. Option six is financing. We'll kind of work our way up. What is option three? Option two would be doing this like 401k stock option idea. What's Mm -hmm. option three? I think it would be a hybrid of, you know, one or six. uh, Or, you know, I would just call it like seller financing where you're doing, you're giving some money up front, you know, to the business owner. Uh, what percentage that is, you know, kind of depends on where they're at. And I'd say the complexity of the business, you know, we've helped a gentleman sell a business that was, I wouldn't say too complex, but had a crew, had, you know, multiple employees, been in business for 20 years. And the gentleman buying it wanted, uh, you know, like wanted one year of, of that, of the business owner's time and expertise in the business. So structuring the deal where he got, you know, a large portion of the money up front, but um, there's some incentives for the business owner to stay on a year, transition clients, transition, you know, the employees, transition all of that business processes to make sure they're successful. So the business owner is financing, you know, some of the business um, by not taking the money all up front. Uh, and there was salary involved with him staying on. And then there's kind of some performance kickers, you know, if the revenue was so good, uh, there was a bonus. And so structuring a deal um, with incentives and the the business owner uh, so that all of the cash isn't needed up front to buy the business. Right. There's a lot of ways that this is good for the business owner selling. And also there's definitely some risks involved. So normally what happens with this option three is you spend more money at the end of the day because you're giving this person more of a buyout structure and that has an interest rate involved. So just like if you borrow that money from the bank, there'd be some interest rate that you would have to pay the bank. Well, now you're just paying it back to the individual. So let's say for easy numbers, you bought the business for 500000 you give the upfront of maybe 200,000. Then like Brian said, to make sure that the, for your incentive that you're buying, all the customers or clients stay on, uh, you give them another 200 at the end of the year and then you finance the 100,000. You might end up paying more for the business, like $560,000 by the time it's all said and done. But the longer you can pay or push out the payments, seems like it's a little less risky on your behalf buying the business. 
because cash is king in business. <laughs> and when things don't go your way, if you're sitting on a lot of cash, you have a longer time span to make sure you can get things back on track because you have cash. So I think that's something to be noted. Uh, sometimes also for tax purposes, it's, it's uh, I would say, better for the person that's selling the business so they don't get hit with this huge number up front in one year, but they can kind of uh, diverse that over a couple years for a tax hit. Um, that's definitely an option. All this is depending on the person who's selling it, if they're going to accept it or not. Now, granted, if you don't make the payments, obviously there's risk there for the person that's selling. But anyway, so I think it's worth noting. Yeah, this is a huge point on structuring the payment. So let's go back to the 500000 You're buying the business for 500000 It benefits the existing business owner to break that payment up, you know, because when you sell a business, typically, uh, we're not tax accountants, but you're going to pay capital gains tax uh, on the perceived profit of selling your business versus what the perceived costs you have into your business. Breaking that up pushes the tax liability into separate years. So instead of getting 500000 in one year and paying all that tax at once, you could split it up to where, you know, you're getting 250000 let's just say like April 1st, and then January 2nd, you're going to get another 250000 the business owner who's selling. What that does is it pushes the tax liability into the following April. It would be really tough on a business owner to sell and take a lump sum. Like if you were to get 500,000, you close on December 31st. Well, now the taxes are due right around the corner in April. So you don't get the benefit of that money very long before you got to pay the piper. So structuring the payments over multiple years pushes your tax liability out and allows you to keep your, you know, manage your tax bracket a little bit more with your accountant. uh, So you can recoup and retain more of that money and the value created in your business. Right. Okay. So do you want to go through the other three options? Because I think they're all just kind of hybrids of what we've been talking about. Cash, Um, right. Cash or, or borrowing money or loans, right? Yeah. Um, So I think what we need to do is go back to how do you value a business and, and what are the ways that you can go about if you get an opportunity and you see something or you hear of something, how in the world do you know what to pay in a, in a, quick manner without involving a lot of people. And it might be wise to invest in somebody who's going to value it for you in a way, maybe a market that you don't understand. Uh, For our market, for financial advisors, there's a company that comes in and kind of does it all for you. Um, And that would be a, a wise investment in our perspective, just to make sure that we're not seeing it in the wrong way. So we're not saying not do that, but uh, maybe just to do it in your head quickly here are ways to evaluate another business if you hear about an opportunity. So let's go through the first one. Yeah, we have several. So I like the franchise. We'll just stay on the franchise model. The beautiful thing about buying a franchise is, is it's a package. You're, buying, you're kind of buying like a business in a box. Um, and they're very clear at what that cost is. Now, you can be savvy and negotiate with the franchise. Uh, I actually knew a family that was really savvy, uh, owned several uh, franchises in one business, uh, started a new business and took a lot of that knowledge and was able to, you know, strip out a lot of the cost that that new franchise, you know, was projecting it would take to build out, uh, one of their businesses. 
So those things aren't set in stone, but they typically give you a range of like, it's going to cost you between a hundred or 200,000 to start one of these. Um, you know, and all franchises are different, but I think if you're getting into a business, it's easy to look at a parallel. If there's a franchise, uh, you know, if you're going to start your own sandwich shop, you could go in and say, what is this going to cost me? You could say, well, what does, uh, I'm going to go buy an existing sandwich shop. You know, what would it cost me to start a Jimmy John's? You know, so you could get a pretty good market estimate of, you know, what a good existing franchise would cost you to get started. So that's kind of one way to establish a baseline. The, the option two, which is kind of the one that I more prefer uh, to get down to brass tacks, I kind of call it just the net take uh, method. Um, what you're really buying in a business is a predictability of future cash flow. You know, what system or mousetrap or value do they have that is going to predictably produce cash flow into the future? And the more predictable that is and the more loyal the client base and all those different things, the more people are willing to pay for it. Um, but the net take method basically looks at what what do the owners, you know, if it's a single owner business or a multiple owner business, what are the owners pulling out of that business from salary, from deferred compensation, from health benefits, retirement benefits, intangible benefits, whatever? What is the total stream of cash flow that those people are taking out of the business on an annual basis? Then taking that number and multiplying it by a multiple, depending on how uh, you know, successful and predictable that future cash flow is. Uh, and so I, a good multiple to start with is two times or three times, somewhere in there. Uh, the best, you know, businesses in our business, uh, everything's buttoned up, really good staff, loyal customers, been in business a long time, residual income, um, you know, would get three times that type of number, uh, that type of, uh, you know, residual income. And so that's, that's a great place to start. I think, especially if you're looking for like a single owned business, you know, if you're going to go buy a franchise or you're going to start something that you're not going to really own with somebody else, that's a really um, easy valuation metric to look at and get a, a good baseline. And it's pretty easy for that seller to step into that. Just what you were getting. I'll do that for the next two years. Ta-da, we're done. And one comment on that really quick. This is where when you do as a business owner, if you get into accounting and you're trying to minimize your income or hide your income and deducting all these different things, <laughs> that's where it kind of, um, you know, obfuscates the value of what the business is worth because you're trying to hide the value of the business from the IRS, but now you want someone to pay a premium for the value that you created, and but you've been accounting for it in a way that's very hard uh, or very maybe not as transparent to see the full value of what the business owner is taking out of the business. So from there, and you get into the tax complexities of all that, and you're trying to hide cash, you know, then it's going to be harder to charge a premium, you know, to someone buying it too, because it's hard right. for them to see what what's actually going on here. So that's a double-edged sword um, as you're building your business and trying to protect your money uh, versus when you're trying to, you know, exit your business and get the full value. Right, right. Great point. Okay. Um, and like, like we said before, like these are to give you ranges. If we give you four ways to evaluate a business, chances are there's going to be somewhere around there. And what we found when someone is going to sell their business, it ends up that they want, they see more value in their business than 
probably is warranted. Would you not agree with that? A hundred percent. So anyway, it's just something to kind of work through. All right. So we've got two options there. What's the third option on a percentage of revenue? The percentage of revenue model is, it actually works out pretty close to the net take model, but essentially you take the revenue, you know, previous 12 months revenue and you subtract cost of goods sold. So like we're in a business that doesn't have cost of goods sold. It's not something like we're buying a mutual fund or something and then reselling it. So we don't, you know, we don't really deal with the cost of goods sold in our business, but a lot of businesses do, you know, they have inventory or they have products um, or services that have, you know, input costs. So there's a cost of goods sold, uh, you know, trying to like to actually sell the widget, it costs them to buy the widget first and resell it. So uh, that inherent cost is the cost of goods sold. So when I look at that method of, you know, percentage of revenue, it's taking the top line revenue and then subtracting out the cost of goods sold because that new person buying your business is going to have to keep buying that stuff too. It's not like value you necessarily created. Now, if you created your own products and all of that, that's a different story. And if you have patents and intellectual property around your products, that's that's a different deal. But um, looking at it largely that there isn't that in place, you know, you're buying more of a commodity and doing something uh, and then reselling it. So pulling out that cost of goods sold um, as part of the valuation metric, then pulling out, um, you know, the the owner's compensation and paying <clears throat> that number typically actually works out to be pretty close to a similar valuation as the net take model when you double the person's salary uh, or, or financial gain from the business. So we've done this on a couple deals and they've worked out to be pretty close, you know, 10, 15% depending on the value of the business. But the bigger the business, I think the more this is the better option to go. You know, the more kind of self employed, um, single owner business is better with a net take model. It's just a, it's, it's less complex and it's more true of what's actually going on. The bigger the business, the more employees and the, the more of an ongoing concern is kind of the term used with the business. Um, the more I think this uh, percentage of revenue is the better way to value the business. And so that's kind of what it is. And then really, if you're going to apply some sort of discount uh, or multiple to that number that's created from pulling out cost of goods sold uh, and the owner's compensation, uh, you're just pulling out one year of owner's compensation. So you're not like doubling or doing anything like that. Um, and so then you're going to get some sort of valuation. And that's where you, you know, with COVID, I mean, that's where you could say, hey, this is a really shaky time. Uh, you know, we're, we're filming this show the day after Biden's um, Democratic National Convention speech. And he said, we will have, if he's elected, a national mandate of mass January 1st. Well, man, that's a long time. He's not saying he's going to shut things down, but uh, COVID's, COVID appears to be coming with us into 2021. Uh, you know, so those are the different, different things that you'd have to factor in in valuing a business. And, you know, are you going to discount that uh, as part of the valuation? Or are you comfortable with that risk? And so working through those things with the seller. Yeah, for sure. Working things through with the seller is kind of, it's a concert for sure. And uh, the more I'd say the upfront honest we can be with the seller or the buyer and everyone's on the same page, obviously it's going to go better. Uh, but the fourth one is probably the quickest and the fast, the quick, I don't know, maybe the fastest I would say is what the seller wants to sell it for. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is what they see in their head as what their value of their business is. 
what I would say too on that is um, we've we've we help people with this. So I mean, we help people evaluate purchasing businesses, selling businesses. Uh, you know, we run financial models. We can look into the numbers. It's something that we do and we're good at, and I think people value. We've been a part of several deals now, and it's been refreshing. Honestly, the last couple of deals we've worked on, I felt like the seller had a very fair valuation for their business. And in one, one instance, we were almost saying like, I think you're undervaluing your business uh, being sold. But obviously, you know, every person's in a different situation with COVID and everything like that. You know, uh, circumstances are a little bit different than maybe normal, but uh, I, it, it makes it a lot easier uh, when the business owner has a more realistic view of what right. their business is worth. And uh, it's an emotional thing. I mean, right. very emotional. You're talking about something you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into multiple decades potentially. And uh, putting a price on that and ending that is is a difficult process. So, Right. And then I think the biggest thing for for me as a tip is no matter what they value their business as, asking them why they value their business in such a manner at that price is valuable um, to me. Just getting as much data as you can, why they came up with that number. And chances are it's, it's somewhat similar of the first three options or some option that they had. They've got to be some way of why they're valuing that business. So there's, there's that to try to find and ask good questions and, and lean in and understand. Um, Brian and I had an opportunity to buy a business um, this is earlier in our career and we stepped into it. They, they wanted, I don't know, some, let's say 500,000 through using that number. Um, and when, when we started evaluating the business, they didn't have things buttoned up. They didn't have things that were actually valuable to a next person that's going to buy it. And we said, I think Brian said, listen, I'll be super generous and we'll give you 275. I'm trying to figure out percentages quickly. I'm not that guy, but 275. And they were like, I would say pissed. Like they, they valued their house at X and you just, you know, don't, don't mock me, you know, don't disrespect me in that way. Well, later they got an evaluation. What was it like 225 or something? Like even like from the professionals came in and like, no, you're not valuating this correctly. And there's no way somebody should step in and buy that from you. So it was interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I've been watching that, uh, the last dance with Michael Jordan, you know, and it's just hard to know when to go out, you know, and, uh, if you got something left in the tank, uh, or not, um, and then when you see a price tag put on something you've, you've put, you know, a lot of effort and energy into, uh, it can be insulting. It can be, you know, life changing. It can be rewarding all those different things. And there's just so much that goes into these things. And I think that's the other side of it is that we'd say is this is a process it takes time. Uh, depending on how motivated the seller is and their personal circumstances and, and, you know, financial position, but it takes a lot of patience and openness and conversation. And uh, I think, you know, we help facilitate that and covering, looking at blind spots and different things that people should be thinking about. And it's a fun, it's probably one of my most fun things that we do and help people with because you know, you just don't do that every day. You know, people don't go out and buy businesses every day or sell businesses every day. And, and there's a lot that goes into it. Right. So, I mean, I really think, and let's go kind of circle all this back, try to land the plane, Ramsey. Here we go. I think this is such an amazing opportunity to go uncommon for many reasons. One, if you are an employee, do you really control your future? (laughs) You know, or can they say all of a sudden like, Hey, we're downsizing, you're out. 
I think there's a lot of people that understand that point right now very quickly. And like they understand that because it happened to them. They thought they were in a safe job. And then all of a sudden, whammo, even with a big company. I think even more so as we keep going on with this COVID, bigger companies don't care about the stigma anymore. They're just going to let people go, which is super sad. But all right, so that's reason number one. The reason number two, and the reason why we're talking about valuations and buying businesses is because the age demographic of people that own businesses are getting older. And they, a lot of them do not have an exit plan. So they're looking for people to buy and step into their business that they've created. So there's an opportunity there of just age of businesses and business owners to step into that. And the third reason, I think, and there's probably way more, but I'm biased, is interest rates. Interest rates to borrow money right now is historically low. Now, you might have to jump through some hoops to get that, but knowing that with all those three reasons, it's a really good time to go in common. And if you've ever had an idea or you stumble upon an opportunity to buy a business, it's, I think it'd be worth time of yours to try to evaluate it and see if it's the right step for you. We would love to be a part of that. We don't have to be. Uh, But if you like what you hear um, in this last podcast, you can go see all the information that we have at www.uncommonwealth.com. We own a, a RIA, so we can help people with securities. We can help people with their life insurance. We can help people evaluate businesses. We want to be that advisor that actually helps you get to where you want to go faster. So again, try to reach out to us. Do the 15-minute consultation to see if you're on the right path uh, and just get encouraged that uh, this uncommon path is one, it can be daunting, but it also can be super rewarding. And Brian and I want to do what we can to get as many people down this road as possible. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. And for now, we're signing off. Go be uncommon. Thanks. Goodbye. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.